Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. In medicine, your treatments are only as good as what you can see. So this week we look at new ways doctors are developing to try and help them see inside our bodies, from a new type of PET scan to the way we can turn an inexpensive and cheap and accessible ultrasound machine into a top-of-the-range, high-end alternative to an MRI. In medicine, there are a whole bunch of different types of scans. CAT scans, CET scans, MRIs, you name it. And one of the areas of medicine is functional imaging. And basically, using nuclear or radioactive isotopes, we track them as they progress through the body. And we use this to image and study things, not just in two dimensions, but combining with CET scans, x-rays, and so on, we can actually produce three-dimensional images or models of things as they function. So rather than just a single snapshot in time that you might get from, say, an x-ray that you'd be familiar with, you can get a model of how the thing's actually working or functioning. And for metabolic processes, for organs, this is immensely useful for helping doctors actually target and understand what exactly is going wrong. So positron emission tomography, or PET, is one type of scanning method that we use. And by Basically, we track, detect pairs of gamma rays, which are emitted indirectly uh, by positron radioactive emitting uh, traces. Uh, basically, we get something like a fludooxyglucose, FDG, which is an analogue of glucose, which we have some of the tracer in. And uh, we basically track it as it goes through the body, uh, either through direct injection, dissolve form or ingestion. Uh, and we then study that through some type of scanning device, a PET scanning facility, and we observe the results. And that, basically, the tracer gets absorbed into areas with high concentrations of blood flow, and we can watch as it pulses its way through a target area. And that's really, really useful, and enables us to track and understand the functions of all kinds of things, of metabolic process in particular. But more importantly, it helps us explore whether or not cancer has progressed to that area. But there's some problems with PET tracers, and they, and they really come down to the fact that they're really only useful in a few areas. They're great for understanding how something works, but they're not really useful for, say, tracking a bacterial infection. In fact, most things aren't useful for tracking a bacterial infection. The only way we can really see and understand if how a bacterial infection is progressing at the moment is to do a biopsy, which is to literally take a sample of it and then bring that back to a lab put it under the microscope and see how it's going. Um, that's really how we undertake microbial analysis at the moment, which is great if you can get to where the infection is. But if you can't reach the infection, we have to use indirect methods of trying to understand how that infection is progressing, what type of infection it is, and so on. And things like PET scans and other types of scans don't work because the bacteria just ignores the, the tracer for the most part. So a group of researchers from Stanford University in California, led by Sanjeev Sam Gambia, who is the chair of the radiology department and director of the Precision Health and Integrated Diagnostics Group at Stanford, have been trying to find a way to actually get scans of bacteria with the idea that we could better fight bacterial infections if we know more about how they're functioning, particularly inside of organs where we can't get easy access for biopsy. 
And the trick here is to try and come up with a way in which the bacteria themselves will ingest the traces somehow, but it won't harm, well, the rest of the cells in our body. So there was a long, detailed search for some kind of tracer carrier that uh, mammalian cells, cells in our body, don't eat, but that bacteria would. Because if the bacteria eat the tracer or consume it in some way, then they will draw the tracer and the radioactive dives into themselves, meaning that we can then pick them up on the scan just like we do for our organs. And after a long, careful area of study, they managed to find one, something that bacteria cells love to eat, but mammalian cells don't. And this is maltose. Uh, basically, maltodextrin uh, is eaten by the bacteria because they have a transporter, a part of them, that can deal with it called the maltodextrin transporter. And that enables them to have something inside their cells that takes up the maltose and small derivatives of maltose in small doses. But our mammalian cells don't have this transporter, so they can't process maltose. And maltose, in general, isn't actually that harmful to us, so therefore we can use it as a tracer. And so to test this out, Dr. Gambia and his colleagues developed a, a new method, a new positron emission tr tracer, and they call it uh, 618F fluomaltrowise. And basically, by putting that into a patient, it gets sucked through the system. The bacteria chomp down on it, which is great, because then they appear on a PET-CT scanner, which means that we can actually see in real time how antibiotic therapies and other treatments are working because we can see the bacteria and the microbes responding, fighting against their antibiotics or dying, and we can actually track how well our treatment is going. And they did just that in a, pair, in a group of rats. And they used it to detect different bacterial strains that are otherwise really, really hard to actually pick up. For example, they were using a mouse model of a wound infection. And they tracked that. And what they found is that normally they would not be able to pick up the actual traces of this infection until it was way, way too late. But when they used this tracer, they could pick up even really small bacterial foci all the way into the heart valves of these animals. Then they could target, once they knew exactly where it was, these infections with antibiotic treatments. And they could see that it was having an effect because the signal from that small bacterial infection in the heart valve went away. And that's amazing because now we can actually see how this works or how bacteria infections are going inside the body in really, really precise details without invasive biopsies. Because the problem with biopsies is that they can have the potential to introduce more harm than good, particularly if you're doing heart surgery, for example. If you want to go and cut open someone to get to their heart to see if they have an infection, you also run the risk of introducing an infection. So this kind of technique, which is non-invasive, enables you to scan deep inside to track the progress of infections, enables immensely targeted treatment of infections, which is great and really, really useful. Now, obviously, this is done in animal models, mouse models in particular, and we need to see how well this translates to humans. But because they're using the same type of mammalian cells, they should be able to transport the similar mechanism. And they're on this stage to human trials now. And this will give us much better tools for making sure we have targeted and effective antimicrobial treatments just by having a new indirect method of analyzing bacteria. This is some great work being done out of Stanford University in California.
Now another really, really common tool for understanding how something is functioning inside of our bodies is the ultrasound. And the ultrasound basically works by emitting a specific frequency of sound that bypasses through the skin and then measure how long it takes for that sound to get back to you, reflecting off other objects in the way. And we use this way to image inside of our bodies in a really, really portable way because we can take it out in the field with us or say in the emergency room or in your doctor's office and we can put that directly on a surface that we want to image and run and actually get results back. And okay, it's not incredibly simple to use, but it gives a really, really clear 2D snapshot of inside of you in a way that involves no real damaging incisions, or big expensive scanning equipment, and you name it. It's a pretty, pretty gentle method of imaging inside someone's body. But the problem is a really, really accurate ultrasonic machine is very, very expensive. And the other issue is that ultrasonic machines in general, unless you're on a super, super high-end model, can only image in 2D. They can't give you a really detailed three-dimensional image of what's going on. And if you imagine a very common use case of an ultrasound machine, which is for taking images of a developing baby, and it can be very often difficult to get a good picture of that baby unless it's lined up correctly because you're trying to take a 2D snapshot of an object in 3D. And sometimes it works great and other times it works very, very poorly. And you have to try and move the baby around and line it up just right and it can take you know, many minutes or hours to actually get the best type of snapshot. And if you're looking for something that's wrong, you can often miss it because you didn't get a good picture. So a group of researchers from Duke and Stanford University have just recently presented a quick and efficient modification to an ultrasound machine that turns it from a cheap, run-of-the-mill, easy-access ultrasound machine into a super, super top-of-the-range, high-end ultrasound machine for about the cost of $10 worth of electronics. And they presented this at the American College of Emergency Physicians Research Forum in Washington, or they call it ASEP. And effectively, the inspiration for this new and innovative way to upgrade and retrofit your imaging devices comes from, well, nothing other than the doctors and researchers in charge of this study playing the Wii with their children. Now, you might be familiar with your phone or something like the Wii or an Xbox controller or something which has accelerometer sensors in them. And by a combination of accelerometers and some really, really smart processing, you can build up a model of where this thing is in three-dimensional space by the tilt, yaw, and skew, as well as position and tracking where you are. Your phones, particularly if you use, say, an Android phone, are doing this all the time. That's how apps like Pokemon Go and others won't work when you're in a car, because they've picked up, through the accelerometers, the fact that you're moving really fast, and travelling, and accelerating, and also switching stations, um, or base stations, so they can say that, hey, you're in a car, so therefore the app won't work. And Google uses this for their map apps, they use this for all other kinds of things. And same if you had a Fitbit that does exactly the same thing for a couple of other things to track, say, your step count. But the idea was developed by Dr. Joshua Broder, who is an emergency physician at Duke Health. And he took his idea of maybe we can turn the same sort of technology that's being used in the Wii Remote to help us take better pictures with an ultrasound, maybe even 3D pictures with an ultrasound. And he took the idea to Duke's Pratt School of Engineering, 
and teamed up with Matt Morgan, who's a biomedical engineering professor, and Professor Carl Hekrikoff and Jeremy Dull, who then moved to Stanford. And so basically, they, they worked together to figure out how we could turn the capabilities of a, a, an accelerometer, like a Wii remote, to help turn that ultrasound rod that you've got, which is what the ultrasound device measures with, into a 3D effective scanner. So first, they thought about the concept and they, they printed some of their own models that they could use like as a plastic holster to slip over an existing off-the-shelf, cheap and simple ultrasound scanner. And they basically snap it on. And into that, then they can quickly and easily snap in different little attachments, microchips, accelerometers, and so on. And the plastic helps to steady the probe as it tries to hone in on one part of the anatomy or not. They now then connect it both the ultrasound prout and the microchip with the accelerometers in it to a computer. And so then they can feed the information in and had to write their own little bit of software to process this and turn this into a three-dimensional model. And to their surprise, it took a bit of tuning, but they could make it produce excellent 3D images. Well, excellent for the relative cost of the piece of equipment. Normally, what you'd do if you wanted really nice, crisp, three-dimensional images of the insides of someone, you take them to an MRI machine or a CT scan. But if you're dealing with an infant, getting them to stay still in a CT scanner or an MRI machine is nigh on impossible. You actually have to sedate them in order to do that. Or if you're an emergency doctor trying to treat and figure out the best way to deal with an injury or just figure out what on earth the injury is as it's been presented to you, say from a car crash or some other type of traumatic incident you need you don't have the luxury of taking someone all the way up to do an mri if they're bleeding and hemorrhaging blood or having immense distress or something really really drastically going on with them where you have only minutes or seconds to deal with and that's where these type of really cheap upgrades to a ultrasound scanner which you will have with you in the emergency room means that you can basically save an immense amount of time and get good images, not maybe the best possible images, but good images cheaply and quickly to help you make, in the moment, really good decisions about what you should do in emergency treatment in healthcare. So, for example, in their presentation, Broder and his colleagues presented 3D images they collected on a 70-month-old with hydrocephalus, which is basically fluid on the brain. And they did that using the ultrasound. They didn't need to sedate the baby. They, the baby was just still at the time, so they then put the ultrasound probe on the head and could produce really detailed 3D pictures of what was going wrong in that, in that infant without having to go through a more serious uh, treatment method. Now, this technology could be adapted into other areas to look, say, functioning organs. If you've got 3D... Uh, imaging now you need to also now stitch together those pictures over time to get almost a video because you can do that it's just more intense for processing but that would enable you for example to look at a beating heart and if you could do that you could figure out if in the case of a trauma patient where exactly some problems are you want to look at specific blood vessels or veins you can help to see and track where they're bleeding, but you can also make really then smart decisions about where you make incisions and also what treatments you need to take, what problems you need to fix, not figuring them out after you've cut them open. And that's, that's amazing because now we're getting away 
to very, very cost-effectively upgrade machines in the field and not make them be the best possible scanner, but make them be good enough to really, really help you in those instances and use them pretty much everywhere. So this is some great work being done out of Duke University Medical Center as well as Stanford University. And now where they're using recent grants from the Emergency Medicine Foundation and General Electric, they're actually trying to popularize and turn the device from a research one into a commercial device that you can then use for helping identify bleeding and hemorrhages in patients with traumatic shock quickly and efficiently. And they're rolling that out to emergency rooms now to try. And so this is a great example of how medicine often can be improved by taking a moment to think about a problem in a new light and seeing what technologies can be adapted to assist and make doctors' lives easier. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Way. From a cheap ultrasound machine inspired by the Wii onto a new way to actually look at bacterial infections as they ravage a body using a new method of PET scan. Found out about some new imaging techniques this week. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.